Help defend the church by becoming a supporter of Family Life International. Your contributions enable us to continue our work to promote the faith, defend the family and promote the sanctity of life. Make a real difference today. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk slash donate. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to Nicodemus, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not be lost, but may have eternal life. For God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but so that through him the world might be saved. No one who believes in him will be condemned, but whoever refuses to believe is condemned already, because he has refused to believe in the name of God's only Son. On these grounds is sentence pronounced, that though the light has come into the world, men have shown they prefer darkness to the light, because their deeds were evil. And indeed, everybody who does wrong hates the light and avoids it, For fear his actions should be exposed. But the man who lives by the truth comes out into the light, so that it may be plainly seen that what he does is done in God. The Gospel of the Lord. Our Lord, speaking to Nicodemus, said that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And then immediately Nicodemus questioned the purpose of the crucifixion. Immediately our Lord says, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not be lost but may have eternal life. And this gives us the purpose for the Incarnation, the reason why the Son of God came into the world, namely that those who believe may have eternal life. And we see now the importance of another very important truth, that of faith, of believing. But it's not just random believing or accepting, but it it is the belief that comes from an acknowledgement of who Christ is and what he has done and what he requires of us and wants us to do. Because faith is not just a matter of words. It's also a matter of the way in which we live. That's why at the end of it, he speaks about um, the man who lives by the truth comes out into the light so that all that he does is seen to be done in God. So our actions are, the, in a sense, the incarnation of what we believe. But if we go back, God loved the world so much. Who is God? God is the creator of all things. He needs nothing. He doesn't need the world. The world, we are told, is a speck of dust. The whole universe is a speck of dust before him. And yet he loves it. And how does he love it? He loves it so much to such a degree 
that he gave his only son, which sounds even more ridiculous. That for a speck of dust, he would give his only son. And it's not as if he had many sons, but his only begotten son. He didn't give an angel. He didn't give another creature. He didn't even give another world, but he gave his only son. So if God did this, it means that there is something in the world of such great value that God could consider it a fair exchange. Now, what is this thing that's in the world that God could consider a fair exchange for his only son? God loves, in fact, St. John says, God is love. And this love that God is, is in fact a person, the third person of the Blessed Trinity. Our Lord had already introduced the, the dogma, the teaching, the idea of the Trinity. He had mentioned the Father. Consequently, immediately he mentioned Father. There must be offspring, the Son himself. And he goes to speak on but the Holy Spirit who blows wherever he wills. So he'd introduced Nicodemus to the idea of the Trinity. The Son is the word of the Father. He would put it in crass human terms. The Son is the intellect of the Father. The Spirit is the will of the Father. All knowledge is in the Son. In him are hidden the treasures of knowledge and wisdom, St. Paul tells us. But God's choice is in the Spirit. Now when God created, we're told that he, by the very act of creation, he shares his own infinite nature with created things. So there is the first quality in God, namely existence. He is, I am who I am. God is. He just exists. And so whatever he creates shares in this quality. It is. And then God creates other kinds of creatures, namely the irrational creatures, the animals. And these share, again, one of the qualities of God, namely they are alive. They are able to know, to see, to sense their environment. And God is life. And then there is another kind of creature God created, the rational creatures, namely angels, and of course Adam, and in Adam all of us. And we being rational, we have the capacity to know ourselves. In other words, self-reflection. And God knows himself. St. Paul tells us that in, in Romans, that no one knows God except the Spirit of God who plunges into the depths of God. So God, in creating the universe, in a sense, sees himself in all of creation. Now, it was asked by the pagans, if there's only one God, what does he think about? Because he must be intelligent. What does he know? What does he do with his time? And they couldn't answer the question. And they said, if there's only one God, whom does he love? Because goodness implies love. 
if one loves, one is good, one is naturally good. And so they couldn't answer the question, and this is one of the reasons that the pagans were compelled, in a sense, to devise a, a pantheon, a situation where there are many gods, so that these gods could interact with each other at their own level. But of course, our Lord um, has revealed to us the truth when he came and told us there is only one God, something that had been driven into the Israelites from the time of Moses. There is only one God, but he revealed to us that within this Godhead, there are three persons. And this is the great mystery, which we, we, can, we can only lift the veil a little. So this, in this Godhead, one God, infinite in all his perfections, there are three persons. The Father, who from all eternity knows himself. And so what does God do? He knows himself. This knowledge he has of himself is his word, or his son. So he begets his son, who is the perfect copy of his image, who's the perfect copy sorry, of his nature. The perfect copy, the son is the perfect copy of God's nature. So every perfection that the Father has, the Son has, because he is the same God, the same essence. And the Father, because when you say Father, you imply offspring. The Father loves the Son. Our Lord tells us this, the Son loves the Father. And there's an infinite love between them, a love so deep that it's only expressed with a sigh. And this breathing out of Father and Son together is the Holy Spirit. And so the three persons, each one is God, is Lord, each one is eternal, each one is all-powerful, yet there's only one God. So we make the distinction between nature, what God is, and the person, who. So in a sense, the pagan's question is answered. Now in creating, what has happened? The father, when he created, in a sense, place his son in all of creation. So what the father loves is his son, but he loves creation because he sees his son in creation. And this, in fact, is, is what the whole, whole of salvation history is about. When the angels sinned, there was no redemption for them because they had made an irrevocable choice. In the case of Adam, it was not so. We're told that when Adam sinned, he realized what he had done. And he repented. He did this in the sense that he hid himself. He knew that, that he, he would be punished. But nonetheless, there was repentance and there was hope. In fact, God himself gave us hope in promising the Redeemer, the one who would crush the head of the serpent. And so the, the Father had determined the manner in which the world would redeem. And what, what he, but what he loves in the world is the image of himself, his son. And so the son comes to restore the world, the creation, into his own likeness. He's going to elevate it so that it becomes, well, divine, because taking human nature to himself, he has, in a certain sense, made human nature divine. And so this is what... The, our Lord means when he says so that everyone who believes in him may not be lost but may have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it, to destroy it, but rather to save it. 
And so how can this salvation be um, achieved? Namely by the satisfying of the divine justice. That could only be satisfied when a divine person made the infinite sacrifice. And so we have a divine person who has a human nature, who offers this human nature on the cross, the Son of Man will be lifted up, who offers this human nature on the cross, and so satisfies divine justice. The sufferings that he endured shows the extent to which he himself loves us. And this is why the meditation on the crucifix is so important, because there we see love itself crucified. It shows us the degree to which we ourselves ought to love. Now, Lord tells us this as well. A man can have no greater love than to lay down his life for his friends. But what did he do? He didn't lay down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for his enemies. And what did he do on the cross? Father, forgive them. So the first thing we learn at the foot of the crucifix is forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. We also learn patience because he endured everything that was done to him. Without complaint, he opened not his mouth. We also learn generosity in as much as he gave away the, the, the paradise to the thief who asked only to be remembered. He gives also his mother away to the disciple whom he loved so that she might form in this disciple Christ whom the Father loves. We also see in Our Lady at the foot of the cross complete submission to the divine will. And we, we can go through all of the, 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 the seven words. In all of them we see, we, we learn these, um, the, the, the importance of those virtues. Fortitude um, and um, c- compassion. We, we learn trust in God, even though our Lord cried out, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Nonetheless, there was trust in it, for he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And this is why the church throughout the ages has always turned to the crucifix. And as we well know in, in uh, many uh, in, 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 in Catholic countries, in schools there's always been a crucifix. And in recent years, of course, there's this great battle as to why should there be crucifixes in, this, in, in, in classrooms. But the crucifix is the greatest teacher. And so even when we pray, we should always keep in mind which would turn and face a crucifix if, if it is at all possible. And looking at the crucifix, remember that it is there that love itself was manifested in all of its fullness. We look at, we can see how much the, the church has, has spread and had converted the world when we look at the flags of the various nations. There's hardly a flag um, without a cross. And those that, with have, that um, have crosses, invariably, they were Christian at some time or another. And so we should make it a, a personal um, devotion to always remember Christ crucified when we are in trouble, when we are in need, when we need, uh, when we need to ask God for some favor. Let us turn to Christ crucified and ask him to remember us and to prove his love for us even more by enabling us to love him in return. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
This MP3 recording has been made available by Family Life International. Help us to make many more available in order to promote our Catholic faith. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk and donate today.